You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and today we are going to visit with an entrepreneur who has uh, himself developed a couple of businesses and been on his own journey. And, and we're going to just break it down and talk about that. His name is Jason Skizik. Jason, welcome to the show. Doug, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. I'm a big fan of yours. So excited to be here and talk to you in the audience. Well, as am I you, and uh, I I just love your story, and there are elements of it, and and folks, those of you that follow me regularly, you, you might know that I'm guilty of occasionally getting out on the edge of what a lot of people have started calling woo-woo, and uh, what that is, is getting a little more into the realm of personal passion, personal purpose. And, and really doing deep dives internally for what your core values are. And they're still to this day leaders in the business world that, that kind of shun that or, or, or uh, want to turn a blind eye to it. And personally, I think you're missing a boat if, if, that's, if you've got some sort of absolute lock on that. And Jason's got a great story, and I'm going to let him get started. So tell us your background, Jason. Give us a little bit of your journey. Yeah, absolutely, Doug. Thanks. And first, I'd like to address the core values thing. What I would say is, you know, if you think that you're going out to get core values, or you've decided to embark on finding core values, you're probably missing the mark. Uh, and so the, the, the fortunate or maybe unfortunate, depending on the case circumstances, your core values are the, the ember that burns inside you already. It's whether or not you decide to uncover them or, uh, or really take the time to define them that, that really will make the impact. But whatever it is that you're out there doing, it's driven primarily by your core values. And uh, that leads me to my core values. So for me, I have, I have two core values that make me me. I have five total, but I have two that make me me one of which I was born with, uh, and that I call spirit of the puppy. I've got ADD, which I call entrepreneur's disease. When I was a little kid, I was running around all over the place. I was excited to try new things. My mom always had me enrolled in things from music to art classes to sports. Uh, and I, I definitely, that shaped me a lot as a young man, as a young boy. Uh, uh, but that also resulted in me being isolated from regular school, put into a behavior disorder school when I was only eight years old. I was in a K through 12 behavior disorder school from uh, second grade to seventh grade with, you know, 40 other children, uh, children, some of them were gang members, right? Uh, and so that's, that's the spirit of the puppy. And I was very fortunate during that time that I had uh, teachers that cared about me and I was also able to work at my own pace. And so what that meant was I established this relationship with learning where me learning was such a good thing I, and I, I could learn at my own pace and then I could relax and, and read books uh, when I was finished with my work for the day. And so this balance that I struck with those teachers has really carried me to being this lifelong learner that I am now. Um, coming out of school, uh, I went into the United States Army. I was a network engineer in the United States Army. And Doug, I don't know if you know what a network engineer does, but in the Army, they work a shovel and a backhoe. So we were, <laughs> we were, we were digging holes. We were laying in conduit, and we were pulling miles and miles of cable uh, by hand in the desert, uh, twelve hours a day, seven days a week. Um, 
And if you ask my mother, I was having the time of my life. Uh, I was learning discipline. I was gaining these great relationships. I was getting in terrific shape. Uh, ultimately, as, as an athlete, this was a huge advantage for me because I was so so busy working so hard that the uh, the fitness stuff and sports stuff seemed a little bit easier when I got back. Um, so coming out of the military, I, I did two things, Doug. Uh, one, I pursued my fame and fortune in the world of finance. Uh, I went to school for a degree in finance. I also got a great starting job at a, the biggest bank in the world. Uh, and at the same time that I did that, I started a small CrossFit gym as a hobby with two of my veteran friends uh, in Chicago uh, on the fourth floor of a dusty uh, Timberloft building. Um, and I did that for a few years. And I'd be at, at, at work and I'd be modeling, uh, you know, a $20 million deal. And all I could think about was my $8,000 a month business. And uh, so ultimately I'd be sitting in a boardroom. There'd be my boss, my boss's boss, my boss's boss's boss and his boss and an entrepreneur. And the only guy in the room that I could really see eye to eye with was that other entrepreneur. And so by a circuitous path, I committed full-time to being a, a full-time entrepreneur. And as soon as I applied uh, those things that I had learned up until then to being a, to being a true capital B business, uh, our results shot through the roof uh, and we almost 10X'd our business uh, inside of about 18 months. Um, so that's a good time for me to take a break there. And, and no, Amazing. Well, you touched on a number of things. One is the, you know, the early, uh, personality that was demonstrated and, and came out and, and I love your spirit of the puppy. And we're going to talk <laughs> a little more about that, but um, you know, one thing that comes to my mind and it's more of a question when you, when you got designated or selected, and that's probably a nice word for being placed in that special school. Did, did that create any stigma effect for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So actually, I didn't know this until I was an adult, but my mother fought really hard to get the public school to pay for me to go to this private school that was actually 40 minutes away. Um, and it's, in, it's called an extended day school. It's called Bridgeview Extended Day School. It still runs to this day. Shout out to Bridgeview. Um, and at the time, I thought they had placed me there. Actually, my mother had fought to get me there because what they had been doing was putting me in this separate class. And I just, I was coming home, dragging my book bag behind me like Charlie Brown uh, and just was so depressed from it. I, I don't remember this, but she tells me that story. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a stigma. Uh, I did not uh, have a summer break. We were year round um, and it was an hour away, which meant that I was there from, you know, I would leave it, I don't know, seven in the morning and I wouldn't come home until after four at night. Um, it's actually one of the reasons I'm a podcaster is I grew up listening to talk radio for an hour and an hour <laughs> with my bus driver. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a stigma. I didn't have regular friendships. I, I never went to an elementary school and, and I, I started back in the middle of middle school. Um, and, uh, I definitely felt separated from, from the neighborhood kids who were all seeing each other all over the place, but not terribly. I asked that question because, uh, you know, the at, at those younger years, in those younger years when you're forming, you you have your own sense of what normal ought to be, and, and it might be unfounded and, and not a correct judgment, but nonetheless, it's there. And then when that gets broken, um, I, I'm asking that because my own, I've got a set of grandkids that are doing a combination homeschool, physical school program and i think the older one to be honest is 
probably starting to question that model because he's well aware of the other kids that are in public school and what they're doing. And he's like, eh, am I different? Am I, is that wrong? And, you know, yeah. he, he's one of those deep thinkers and I think it's, it's eating on him a little bit. And, you know, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I can identify with that. And as a father, I have a 17 month old uh, daughter here, Lucy. And as we, we're thinking hard about that now, because, you know, I don't necessarily uh, want to send her to the whatever public school or even some of the private schools where nearby where we live. And so the question has come up and, and I, I don't have a good answer. But if he is a deep thinker, you know, two things, probably he would be deeply thinking about the other side of the grass if he was on the other side of the fence. And yeah. then honest, honestly, um, you know, he's probably in many ways right and probably would be surprised in, in other ways on the downsides as well. Right. 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 Because free thinkers that are deep thinkers are not rewarded in public schools, in my experience. Well, I agree with you. And and for the record, I, I don't want anybody to hear what I just said a moment ago and, and misconstrue it as me being bashing homeschooling. I'm not at all. I'm, yeah. I'm, I've got too many anecdotal stories of great success doing that. And, and there, there, there are ways to, you know, broaden that social experience that kids need to round them out and um, uh, go from there. But uh, so let me move on here. You, you mentioned there were two out of your five that were really core. What's the second one? Thank you, Doug. I, I actually realized I forgot to say that in the military, I gained what I call military mindset. Um, and, and the podcast that I host, as well as the business that I run now, is called Spear and Clover. Um, and it, it, that, it, that tattoo, or the, this, this is a tattoo, if you're watching the video, uh, called the Spear and Clover uh, um, icon or whatever you want to call it, a symbol. Um, and that's existed for a few years before I ever decided to call my business that. Um, and that comes from a story that I, I'd love to tell you really quickly. Um, I live here in the Indiana Dunes National Park, and uh, every single week I do what I call a solo mission. So uh, I go on a ruck march alone with my dogs, sometimes with my baby strapped to my back. Um, and I'll typically uh, go out and just think about, you know, relationships, my place in the universe, whatever it might be, business, whatever. Um, so one day I'm out uh, on an 11 mile ruck march through the dunes here. Uh, I have a 40 pound uh, pack on my back and a 40 pound log on my shoulder that I can't put down until I get home. Um, and I'm head down, feet moving. I'm laser focused on my, my, my goal and I'm sweating. I remember it very vividly. It was a rough day. It was kind of cold out, kind of windy. Uh, and the dogs, the two Australian shepherds, they're running out into the woods and then they come back and check on me. Then they're running back in the, in the woods and rolling around and they come back and check on me. And so Doug, if I did 11 miles that day, these dogs minimum did 22. They were going two to one <laughs> for sure. Uh, and, and it occurred to me in that instant that that's how I'm at my best, not just military mindset, hard charging towards my goals, but also spirit of the puppy, that clover, that going out and learning new things and creating new relationships and trying new hobbies and, and not... Spending time with my friends and family, no matter how busy I am, you know, candidly, Doug, I'm in, I'm in the third week of a three week launch right now for this business, uh, that we're kicking off and I'm still spending hours a day with my child. I've made it into the gym, uh, maybe not as much as I normally would, but multiple times during this last three weeks, uh, and, and, and I'm listening to an audio book that has nothing to do with the launch. And so I really have made it a discipline to make sure that I incorporate play and, and social time and family time into my daily routine. Uh, yeah. so that, that's the story of how Spear and Clover came <clears throat> around and at its best, that's who I help at their best. That's who they are as those folks. 
I really can relate to that story on several levels. I, I think I shared with you when we were offline that I had a similar experience when I was in the military. I I lived in a wooded area in Alabama and um uh after work and, and this you know sounds odd after doing military duty all day after work going out for runs in the woods. Um and I would take my dog likewise. Now I yeah. I wasn't quite as dedicated as it sounds like you are. I was just happy to be out there. But you know, I'd I'd be running for a couple of miles every day. And to your point, the dog would would tromp out in the woods and probably double or triple my distance oh, yeah. and doing the same thing, those giant loops. I could hear, you know, off in the woods, never lost sound of her, but I certainly lost sight of her. But yet she was faithful to come find me where I was on the path and she'd trot along for a little bit and then she'd take off again, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, that's such a vivid word picture for me. And, and, but, but the core of it is that spirit. And, and I, I really love that. And, and for me, what I take from that is, is being able to be curious. And that's such an awesome word. And there's a, there's a famous scene in the, uh, popular show Ted Lasso where he talks about being curious it, it's the famous scene in the pub when he beats the bad guy at darts and uh I, I mean that is that is a deep life lesson if you if you're listening to this show and you haven't looked up that clip go to YouTube and look up Ted Lasso dart scene and uh, you're gonna love it but it's about being curious and, and never losing that spirit of curiosity to continue to learn, continue to grow, continue to expand your horizons. I just, I get really excited thinking about that. Oh, that's great. I love that show. I think you're going to start to see college classes centered around kind of dissecting the, the philosophy of that show. Oh, I, I, I agree. Case studies about yeah. it. And, and speaking of back to our topic on leadership, it is an amazing thesis on leadership. The, the spirit of a leader to not ever think too much about yourself, but always be mindful of others and looking for the best in others. And boy, as a coach, literally in his case, a, a soccer coach, sports yeah. coach, but you know, that's what we coaches try to do is find the best in our people, our clients and help bring it out if they can't recognize it themselves. Yeah. I call that high beams of hope. Uh, when I meet somebody, it maybe it comes from being a CrossFit coach for so many years, but when I meet somebody new, I always illuminate them in my mind and it's not on purpose. It's just what I do. I'm just call it that, uh, with, I see the best version of that person. Oh my God, you're unbelievable. You, you, you've got these great legs or, oh my gosh, you're so smart and funny. You should do a podcast. Like for me, it's, I call that high beams of hope. And sometimes to my detriment, I have to kind of reel that back to make sure I don't, <laughs> you know, kind of place over expectations on somebody who never asked for them, but uh, for like hiring and things like that. But what I've found is I, I typically see people in the best light that I can or that they, that they have. And uh, I found that they see themselves through my reflection sometimes as a coach. Um, and that's a really nice thing that I can pass on to somebody. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, the other thing talking about your, your logo, your clover and spear, the spear part, the military mindset, uh, for me, one thing that does come to mind from that is being able to be very intentional in what you do. And, and you mentioned you're, you're in this new launch yet you 
have the time or made the time to spend time with your daughter, go to the gym, do your other, not lose your rhythm of, of important things going on. And that takes high levels of intentionality to make that happen. It's funny you say that, Doug. I have a uh, spreadsheet calendar, and it's called My Perfect Week. Uh, and it mod- it modifies depending on the season of life that I'm in and, and if I'm like building a new program or launching something. Uh, but in general, every single day, the first things that I've blocked off on that calendar are the social things, the the, the self-care things like fitness or, or going on these ruck marches uh, and time with my family. So uh, those are where I set my that's how I create the 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 bowl that I'm going to eventually pour the rest of my work into. Um, and I'm very fortunate, Doug, that I've very deliberately chosen work that gives me energy. And so I never feel, I'm excited to walk into this office whenever I come in here. Uh, this is a really special kind of sacred place for me, man. Uh, it's got the knickknacks that I like. It's got the, uh, it's set up the way that I want it to be set up. I, I get to come in here and I get to work. Um, and that was a, after a series of years of very um, deliberate choices that I'm in a situation where I can do that. And I'm very happy that that's to be able to pass that on to other people. Yeah. And, you know, what you're saying there is so very important that we do as entrepreneurs, you've got that opportunity to find that work that really does keep you energized. It doesn't become a grind. And uh, as I'm saying these words, I'm thinking about a couple of clients I've got that have allowed their work to get into that grind mode. Yeah, that's common. Go ahead. Well, and and it is common, and I, I like your thought on that. I do want to get more of your thoughts on it. The, the unfortunate part is, you know, they've sort of lost their energy and luster for it. And yet when you, as I come in as an outsider and look at their business, Oh, they've got so much upside. I mean, for yeah. the, for the track record they've built and the experience, and and even to their credit, the team they've built, they just have to give the team some rope and let them run. You know, let let them go trucking out through the woods on their own. You know, yeah. You know, Doug, I think we serve the same types of people. Uh, we serve people that are that start a business from passion, and then sometimes over the course of time, it becomes a prison because they they love it so much. They put so much of their effort and their time and their focus into it and their energy, uh, with or without a team, that eventually their their constituents it grows and grows and grows and it demands more and more of them uh sometimes i'll say that a lot of entrepreneurs act as act as the x variable between their clients and reality like this is what i should be charging you this is what you should be getting but i'll give you my life force in order to make you feel like you've really been over delivered to and i think the trap that we fall into as entrepreneurs and i've certainly been guilty of this is we we think that the thing that got, we, we, we came up running through brick walls. We're super passionate about what we're doing. We have nothing but energy to go do it. And so we just say, yes, we run through brick walls. We run through brick walls. We run through brick walls. And that gets us from point zero to point one. And maybe if they're lucky, it gets us to point two, but it's going to shred us if we think it's going to take us to that next level, that seven figures and beyond uh, level without acquiring new skills, coming at things in a different way. And I think it's really easy as entrepreneurs, even the most successful ones, to think of themselves as one person fixed in space that isn't capable of change and growth. And so sometimes guys like me and you have to come in and just kind of knock that out of them a little bit and and give them a, a fresh perspective that, hey man, you actually probably just need to pump the brakes, you know, fix your foundation a little bit, scale the framework, and then all of a sudden you've turbocharged your business. 
Well, that's exactly why I created the program I do and the primary framework yeah. I've got for that I call Game Changer, because uh, you're, you're absolutely right that if you plot the progression of a successful entrepreneur, they're going to go through some major steps. And it's it's not a smooth, flat, increasing line. It's a, It's giant leaps sometimes. And if you... If you don't believe that, think in terms of your company gets up to a certain size and to be able to double your output, you've got to buy a big machine or you've got to expand your facility. Well, those are giant capital commitments. So those create those giant stair steps, uh, not just that smooth line of growth. And my experience in my banking days was I watched entrepreneurs get through that level one, level two, and inevitably hit an invisible wall that they just couldn't figure out how to get to level three, which might be a 5X, 10X of their business if, yeah. if they could make it happen. Because there was already enough inertia, there was enough uh, momentum in the business, but they were the ones holding it back. They They weren't you know, making that mindset shift. And in simple terms, I call it moving from founder to CEO. And you have to broaden that lens. You have to give up a little control. You have to uh, trust the team you've tried to build and expand that team accordingly to be able to make those shifts. But at the core of it, to your point, is it it is, it is a, a mind shift that has to happen for the owner. Yeah, I mean, to succeed in business, we're essentially making increasingly difficult decisions with increasingly less control or knowledge, right? Uh, we, we get to see less of the picture, but we have to make bigger picture moves. Um, and it's just, imagine, uh, you know, you're really good at sailing a one-man boat and and trying to sail a yacht that requires like a 20-person crew. You just can't do it. Uh, and so it just it just takes a different skill set. Um, and I think the, the more success we're able to find, you know, you say you get from level zero to level one, maybe level two. What happens is as that's happening, that's where we start to feel the prison is because we're trying to force it. We're like, I can keep doing it. This sales technique acquires me clients at this cost. This fulfillment technique fulfills on delivery. I can't jump off of this lily pad because it's too dangerous to move to that newer, bigger lily pad. And, yeah. and I think with proper planning and taking our time and being very deliberate uh, about long-term goals like that, um, we can we can do those things very reliably and very predictably. And the best of us do. Um you know, but it takes discipline. It's a practice. It's not something that comes very naturally. Yeah. Spot on, spot on. Tell you what, Jason, it's time to take a short commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to dig a little more into this um, journey of, of being a successful entrepreneur. So hang with us, everybody. This program is being brought to you by Headway Exec, leadership coaching and business advisory services. Visit us on the web at headwayexec.com. Now, enjoy the rest of this episode. All right, everyone, we're back. Uh, this is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm visiting today with Jason Skizik. He himself is a successful entrepreneur, uh, former finance manager and Wall Street guy and uh, uh, military so, uh, Jason, we were talking about that dilemma of the entrepreneur kind of hitting an invisible wall and, and moving on. Um, in your experience working with entrepreneurs, 
how would you gauge the level of fear that's involved with being faced with making that shift to the next level? Is it, is it a fear factor or is it simply a, 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 some other kind of limiting belief in people's minds? What, what have you seen? Well, you nailed it with limiting belief, but I do think fear is at the root of anything. We, we always do think either things from the avoidance of fear or the pursuit of pleasure, right? Uh, that's pretty much what people do things for. Um, and when I work with folks, it's, I, I would, it'd be hard for me to put a real word to, to, that, that encompasses everybody, but I bet you it boils down to primarily fear. Um, you talk about limiting beliefs. One of the biggest ones, and it's one that you can't permanently eliminate in my experience, is the difference between an abundance mindset and a uh, scarcity mindset. In a scarcity mindset, Obviously, as the name implies, you believe you have to hold on to what you have. You save up, you, you cut expenses. You try, that's how you try to grow the business is by cutting expenses. And I think both of us know that's not a lasting strategy that will get you incredibly far. It's not without merit, but it's not going to get you as far as you potentially can be. The greatest entrepreneurs, the ones that grow seemingly forever are the ones that have an abundance mindset. We're going to spend this resource because we know that when we put it out into the world, it'll come back tenfold. Um, and so a lot of times I meet someone who maybe started with a dream in an abundance mindset. I want to go impact the world with my big hairy mission, but then they got to a level of success. And I feel, I've felt this myself multiple different times in my career. I got to this point. I don't want to let it go. I got to tighten up the purse strings. I got to tighten up the operations. I don't want to, I don't want to go out and buy Twitter for $44 million. I've got a really good thing going here, Doug. Uh, you know what I mean? And so it, right. the, the, that person that has the abundance mindset of, you know what? I know it's going to be bad. I know it's going to be tough. I've moved my gym six times uh, for many errors on my part, uh, in, during my tenure, owning a CrossFit gym in Chicago over 12 years. Uh, and it was, you know, it's a loud business. So there's all sorts of, uh, noise complaints and whatever else. But every time I moved it, I knew not just guessed, but I knew I was going to lose clients. It was going to cost me money to build out, but I knew that the next level of my business lived in that space. It was bigger. It was nicer. The convenient, the location was more convenient. Uh, it had more parking, whatever the case may be. These were, very kind of tenuous decisions to make and and we had yeah. to make them you know to grow yeah those those are tough ones and as you were saying that i was thinking about you know the last large scale business that i ran um we moved four times in 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 my it was roughly 5 years that i had that business so you know every year we were moving and that wow. was a pretty big deal and you're right i mean you can get a new lease and sometimes you can squeeze the landlord for some, some improvements that they're going to bake into your rent check, but you're not having to make the big cash outlay to make it happen, but you can't get everything. You you still, you might be repainting and, and even just the moving cost of moving all your equipment and furniture and everything is, is a, is an expense. Yeah. And you're right. You worry about, losing contact with clients and people just say, well, I'm not going to go to that part of town. I'm, you know, not going to do that. So it's all those things that come into play, but I like your point. I don't want to gloss over the significance of it, that scarcity versus abundance. How do you try to work with someone who seems really locked in, in that scarcity mindset? You know, maybe it's a, familial, you know, heritage thing that they're carrying around, um, 
maybe that's how mom and dad looked at the world and they, the kid can't help it. And so that's how he's looking at it. How do you try to help them break through that? Um, to varying degrees of success, I would be the short answer. Um, and, and what I would say is this, um, I try to find people that are a core value fit to work with and to employ and to be around. Um, and so if you're someone who I believe is super passionate about your mission, mission and you're capable of seeing the big picture and you want to make an impact the world, then I think of my job as like a shepherd. You're trying to climb a mountain. I'm just trying to help you get there in one piece as efficiently as possible. So uh, honestly, with you, to be honest with you, Doug, I need to make sure that I see in that person that, that ember, that ability for them to get over those things uh, because ultimately I can't do it for someone. And mm -hmm. so what I typically find is when somebody mission uh, trumps everything. It's like my love with my wife. Because I love my wife more than any disagreement we have, our fights seem small by comparison. And so if you love your mission more than you love a scarcity mindset, I can work with you because I know that I can help you to see that the mission requires you to think abundantly. If your scarcity mindset is so baked into you that you're like, well, maybe I just won't do it then. Well, gosh, I don't think I can help that person. And so I have to also sort of choose my battles and, and choose who I go into battle with. Uh, and so I am selective about the folks that I work with. Uh, but fortunately, uh, the people that really want those missions to come to life are the people that are my people anyway. And so yeah. it's, it's an easy yeah. decision. That, that's a that's a great way to put it and think about it. And uh, it reminds me on the corporate side of my business when I'm doing executive leadership development engagements, occasionally I'll get the call from somebody who represents a board seat or an HR and they say, we've got a guy that is on, you know, his last thread here. He's, his behavior doesn't jive with everybody. Can you come coach him and fix him? And it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, made that decision six months ago, probably. <laughs> and if if the if the boat has already sailed, it's like, what do you really think I'm going to go do? You know, number one, I'm not going to swim out to that boat, and uh, <laughs> number two, uh, it's probably under full speed. And what do you think I can really do? And right. it, it's a setup for both of us to fail. So you, you do have to have that like-mindedness. And um, I, I like the framing that you said. If Even though it may be an indicated behavior, as long as they've got that other driving force that trumps it all, that's, that's a, that's a good, good place to be. Boy, thinking about a lot of different questions. But in, in your experience, just going back to the general definition of what it means to be an entrepreneur, do you have any idea of what the most common roadblocks are that people run into in the early stages of growing their business? Well, it's interesting. You know, I think of, uh, I think of business like a game. Uh, and if you think of it, let's use football as the example. If you think of it as scoring points and throwing balls and catching them and stopping the other team from doing it, it's a very tactical way to look at it. And I think a lot of times passionate entrepreneurs, they see very clearly the tactics that they believe in that they think can help them to win the game. And so people start to play that game and they have very good early success. It works. Oh, wow. That, that route that I decided was going to work on in the boardroom, that actually worked. And we went out there, we made some money. 
That's great. The problem is, is that if you don't build foundations around an organization, a dynasty organization is the type of organization that I help people to build. Then when one of those players goes down or one or the, or the, the market catches up to one of your tactics, you're going to be dead in the water. And so the thing that I see is people have success early with tactics and they say, I'm a tactical guy. I'm a gal. Uh, and this is going to work forever. And, or maybe they, maybe they don't say that, but they act like they believe that. Um, and they don't take time to really build the foundations uh, that they need to rely on. And then the frameworks to scale it and make a bigger impact on the world. If you don't take the time to do that, then at some point those chickens come home to roost. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm going back to my earlier question. I'm thinking about the the entrepreneur that's just really holding on to something really you know, themselves are making every transaction come across their desk for some kind of review or sign off or something. Um, you're never going to grow and scale a business like that. You, you can't be that guy. Now, if you're signing the next, the paperwork for the next $10 million infusion of capital, that's a different story. You know, yeah, right. you need to sign that. <laughs> but, um, too often I do see entrepreneurs that get into something and they demonstrate a tactical skill like you're describing. And that does help very directly. You can draw the line on the, the early success in the business. So they get sucked into that belief that, well, I've just got to do more of this and it'll be okay. Well, there are only so many hours in the day. And you need to take a break. You need to go visit with your family. You need to go to the gym. You need to do all those personal things. And if, if, if you take the time out to go do that, you're not going to be available to do those other things. So guess what? The capacity just gets locked in. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, one of my best friends owns a very large manufacturing company. Um, and he, I've watched him out engineer in a CAD drawing, an MIT engineer. I've watched him do it got like a law degree from NYU. He's also a, a, a you know, a degree in economics, just, just the smartest guy in almost any room he walks into. Um, but, you know, I have, there's this thing called the beautiful butterfly paradox that I came up with. Either you're a beautiful butterfly and you're unique and you're an entrepreneur and you are in fact capable of out engineering an MIT <laughs> engineer in the room, even though that's not your specialty, or everybody should be able to do what you do. Those two ideas can't coexist, Doug. And so what I find is that frustration when somebody feels like they need to have every single signature signed by them and every single thing come across their desk, that frustration isn't at employees that are somehow incapable. It's actually at themselves because they realize they never took the time to codify the magic between their ears into a scientific framework that could be produced through a team. And the truth is we're not magicians, Doug. The things that we do, the tribal knowledge we hold, these skills that we have, we're blessed with them and we've pursued them and maybe we have some natural talent, but they're not magic, it's science. And what I help to do is pump the brakes with folks and really start to help them codify that magic into science because that's the only way that you can realistically expect your team to be able to perform a semblance of the brilliance that you are. Well, and to that point, the other aspect is if you as an entrepreneur have somehow said in your mind at some point, I want to be able to sell this business and get my big payday. If you don't have that codified system and process in place where you can step away 
and it still churns money, you don't have an asset to sell. It's so funny you say that because I think about what I do and it's not sexy. You know, there's coaches out there that'll sell you marketing plays or hiring things, or they're, they're, they're a bolt on for the company an SEO based website or whatever it may be. That's really sexy. They can come to you and they can say, I'm going to bring you 50 new clients, or I'm going to bring you a new million dollars in revenue. I'm going to bring you this and you can set your watch to it. Um, but what I bring is I help, and you do too, Doug, is we help you to build an asset that doesn't sit on the balance sheet and it doesn't sit on the income statement. It sits with an X behind it on that multiple when you sell the business. Because the difference between the value of your business as it sits, just as scrap, and having a multiple where you get many times that um, is the ability for the purchaser to guarantee that they're going to be able to reproduce, produce that right. success. Right. And this is why a law firm typically doesn't sell for high multiples, whereas a software as a service company does, because you just know I come in, I turn the switch and it prints money. I put in a dollar and $5 comes out. But if I'm the hat sitting on top of that company and I'm the one that is responsible for making it go from a dollar to $5, well, we're in big trouble. Uh, yeah. it, it'd be remiss of me not to point out uh, Built to Sell is a perfect book at explaining that concept. Right. And, you know, even if it's your idea that you're hanging on to and, and perhaps you've turned it into a, a, a software application or something, and <clears throat> yes, absolutely, that's intellectual property and you want to hang on to it. But that is the asset that does can have an X value when you are ready to sell it. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs miss that. And I know in the high specialty groups, like I've got a really good friend who was a lifelong veterinarian and he had a huge practice. But when he really wanted to retire, he discovered the hard way. There was no resale value in what he had built. You know, to say, well, I've got a book of customers. Well, so what? You know, they come because you're their doctor. Mm -hmm. You know, Fluffy gets you as his veterinarian. And, and if you go away, I'll, I'm going to have to go look someplace else. And that's not a saleable asset. So I don't know who my dear friend had talked to along the way thinking that was going to be a good end game. And, and I mean, he, you know, he was smart. He's a smart guy. So he had done well with his money otherwise, but he didn't get the big payday he was open for after 40 years of work and building it up. Yeah. And that's, that's where I come from is, is fitness. And you talk to a, a brilliant personal trainer, a brilliant gym owner who is absolutely delivering the highest form of, you know, delivery of service, right? But what's going to happen when that person wants to retire? Their their calendar is full of their time. They're selling their time for money. And this is the the difference. This is the difference between somebody who's self-employed and somebody who's an entrepreneur. You know, a self-employed person is the best at trying changing oil. And so they do oil changes all day. And by by God, you're going to get the best oil change. There's going to be a massaging chair while you wait. You're going to have free <laughs> coffee. Um, but as soon as that guy stops changing oil, we're in trouble. Can't go on vacation. Can't retire. Um, somebody that can train other people to change oil very, very well uh, can then become lubros and and sit at home and, and have a nice life. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting near the end here, and I guess I'm I'm thinking, is there one thing you would tell somebody that might be listening that feels kind of that 
they're stuck on that plateau of their business. They've worked hard, but they, they're really starting to get worn down of the grind to try to take it to the next level. They, they feel like they're on that plateau and they've exhausted everything. They just can't really figure out what's next. What would you tell them? I would tell them to take a nice long walk, take a walk, go for a three hour walk. Um, if it's warm where you live, uh, if not go for a walk around a treadmill. Um, and I want you to think, think of your business, like an engine di diagram, like a schematic and explode it out into its constituent parts. There's questions that every element of your business asks you every single day that you have to answer. And then the real question to think about on that walk, Doug, is do I have an answer that lives outside of my head to every one of those questions? And if I don't, that's your, that's your to-do list is to look at that exploded diagram of your business, put it back together as efficiently as you can. You can cut some stuff out if that helps. Um, but each of those constituent components is going to ask a question of your business. Do you have an answer that lives outside of your head? If the answer is yes, move on. You can come back and fix it a little bit or make it better, but move on and start by answering all of those questions outside of your brain. I like that. That's a great way to describe the conundrum. And I, and I do think that's what ends up happening. Um, being an old real estate banker, I tell people that if you're going to be an entrepreneur, there's one piece of real estate everybody's going to have, and it's the hardest one on the whole planet to manage. It's the six inches between your ears. <laughs> I love that. That's great. And there's going to be so much stuff that is stored, packed, living in that space. And I, I really like the way you describe trying to get it out of that space and into practice as a process, a procedure, a system, something, because that's where scalability and growth lives. And if it's still rattling around, on that six inch ranch you've got in your head, um, you're, you are going to be stuck. It, it is going to be a, a limiting factor in your own ability to grow that business. Absolutely. I, I like the way you think, Doug. Well, again, likewise. So I, I think we're going to have to wrap this up as, as sad as I am to say that, but uh, uh, I'll come back it, anytime. <laughs> Tell everybody how they can get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more of your world. Absolutely. And I would love to do that, Doug. But first, I just want to say, if you're listening to this and you made it this far, go and like Doug Thorpe, go and like Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Doug is putting a ton of time and energy into making an unbelievable product. Um, and so first do that. And if you still have any energy, check me out. I'm on uh, spearandclover.com. Uh, my company is Spear and Clover. Uh, my program for entrepreneurs is called Dynasty Defined, uh, where we help you build a dynasty organization. Um, you can find me on Instagram is my preferred platform of Jason Skisick or Spear and Clover. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere else as well. Uh, and the podcast is available. Spear and Clover podcast is available across all platforms. Awesome. Well, folks, we're going to have all of that information in the show notes as well. If you didn't catch it on the fly, um, please hop over there and um, uh, whichever source you may be reading or downloading this from, be in the show notes. And uh, Jason, thanks again, man. Uh, knocked it out of the park. Love you. Thank love you, Doug. Having you. Thank you, Doug. You're welcome on my show anytime. And I'd love to come back anytime as well. I'll take you up on that. Happy to do it. Happy to yeah. do it. 
So folks, we're going to, we are going to wrap this up. Uh, thank you for sitting in and listening with us. I always like to remind everybody, we do have the video version of this. You can see the awesome tattoo that represents Spear and Clover. Um, I'm actually thinking about getting one of those. If I can get your, your, your permission to do that. Of course, <laughs> I, I, that I would be the that. highest honor. That would be the highest honor in my life. I just love the message and yeah. my wife and I are joking at our age. We neither one of us have any ink and we're, we're seriously thinking about it. But I'll knows? pay for it, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm sorry, folks. I got off my track here. I'm trying to yeah. let you go and get out, but thanks for listening in. Uh, do check us out on the video over on YouTube. Leave us a like and a share over there, if you will. And for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.